0: This is the J.J. Show, brought to you by Karate Beyond. Discipline, focus, confidence. KarateBeyond.com. Let's begin. Uh, there we go. All right. J.J. Show, episode 61. I am here with Mr. Christopher Green. Welcome, hey. sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, so we know each other, or I met you via Fabio Noves, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, over on the south side off Creative Drive. First day, I think I was there. You were there. And uh, you're a brown belt. You're an absolute Mm -hmm. beast, an absolute monster. And uh, on top of being just a a soul crusher on the mat, uh, you deadlift (laughs) probably double my weight. (laughs) Uh,
1: about, about 550, 565 in the garage. I don't max anymore, but yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. I want get that. Okay. There we go. Yeah. got the mic a little closer.
0: Okay. So, um, so yeah, uh, BJJ is, uh, my new favorite hobby. Um, I wish I can do more, uh, than just coming in once or twice a week, but my body just won't allow for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The body won't allow for it. Um, But it's so much fun because you're, well, strangling each other to near death.
1: Yeah, yeah. Folding (laughs) folding clothes to people and um, involuntary yoga. Right, involuntary yoga. Yeah. You know, it's funny how that works that, you know, I always tell people, especially guys who are new to it, you know, I was a meathead when I got into it. I was a captain in the army and uh, super in shape. So I was always pushing, pushing, pushing and tired. And I was like, "Oh, I got to work on my cardio. I got to work on my cardio. It hurts." And then it's it it dawns on you that no, it's not your cardio at all. It's your efficiency. Mm. And you know, some days, you know, I train probably six days a week, sometimes twice a day. Benefits of being retired, but um. You know, as as you train like that, you have to learn. Some days you're just going to be defensive. Some days you're going to conserve energy and. You know, and you actually can increase more as you do that. But yeah, you know, I, I used to think the same thing, but. Right.
0: Yeah. No. The cardio thing, the, that's, uh, that's interesting the way you put that, uh, a matter of efficiency mm-hmm. rather than your cardio output. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, because I know when it comes to striking, that's a, you know, I'll hear from people that are really into like running, Right. Or, or into like swimming or another mm-hmm. sport where, you know, endurance is a factor. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and they do striking and then two, three rounds into it, they're heaving. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I thought I had good cardio. I was like, well, this is just a different kind Yeah, I cardio. boxed
1: for a while and it's definitely different. Um, yeah. How know, those guys can go 12 rounds is beyond me. They learn to cruise. They learn when to turn <sighs> muscle off. I mean, it's uh, an old boxing trick I learned early on was, you know, you want to relax your, when you're striking, you want to relax, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. sounds like an oxymoron, but, but. But it's true. Yeah. It is. You're faster, but you're also more efficient. But how do you relax? Especially when, when you're sparring. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing to hit the bag. I tell people, if you haven't been in the ring, you're not a fighter, you know?
2: Mm-mm.
1: But the trick that I learned from one of my boxing coaches, he used to be an army boxing coach, he's out in Fort Huachuco, was to relax your face because you can concentrate on that. Mm-hmm. And when you relax your face, you're going to find your muscles, your shoulders relax, mm-hmm. and then you start snapping better. But I'm, you know, if you go in there and you're rigid and you're tense and every muscle is tight. My dad was an old, gold gloves boxer. You say that, you know, in boxing, you're trying to move every muscle all the time without falling into a pattern
2: hmm.
1: and not get hit. Mm-hmm. So you're burning a tremendous amount of energy in a small space, just trying to not get hit. Right. When you learn to breathe, when you learn to relax, your face and your shoulders will start to hang loose and you're popping faster and you're moving better and you're not burning anywhere near the energy because you're not using those auxiliary muscles you don't need to, need right. to use. Same thing in jiu-jitsu. When you've got a guy on top of your natural is to push him off of yes. you, and, you. know, After a while, you start to like, oh, I'm not in trouble here. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not right. in trouble, so I don't need to push. I'll just absorb this and wait for my moment so you start to get way more rounds in because you're not burning constantly pushing a guy. And you also learn, I always tell people as you learn, it's always easier to move your own body than it is to move somebody else's body. Mm. If you're pushing a guy off you, then you're trying to move their body. And as Fabio always teaches, no frame, move your own body. And you're going to find that saves you tremendous amount of energy. Yeah.
0: I I found um, the first couple months, (coughs) I would leave uh, the gym with my forearms and my hands kind of tighten and curl up involuntarily. Yeah, that won't right? go away. <laughs> no, that That's a, go I away. still wake up at night with claws. That that part doesn't go away. Yeah, because I'm like I'm like God. Am I gripping that hard? And the mm-hmm. whole idea of 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 handles and lapels and sleeves, right? That that concept actually is, is still kind of escapes me for whatever reason. I I'm not grabbing mm-hmm. at 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 collars, and and I, I think part of that is the fear of overexerting mm-hmm. my
1: grip and mm-hmm. and
0: burning burning out my hands and forearms. Yeah, you're getting like I... these
1: ugly knuckles, these weird ridges on your hands that you, I didn't used to have. Uh-huh. Some days I f- I like no gi more strictly for the grips because like it's I get a rest, because you know I tell people one of the biggest differences for me between gi and no gi is grips. Mm-hmm. In gee you're always grabbing fat just instinctual no gi, i use hooks i think i like those barrel of monkeys mm-hmm. you know your thumbless grip yeah. hooks you're not squeezing anything you're hooking mm-hmm. and like i'm like okay friday great i'm not gonna and i do a lot of pull ups usually at home so like that. i'm like i'm going to use my grips at all I'm going to let them rest and I'm just going to use hooks and I actually get a break yeah purposely like i look forward to like oh friday whew, I get a break on my, <laughs> my forearms you know because i'm just going to hook right and you try and do it in gi, but it's natural. You're going to grab the lapel. What, uh, what brought you into the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? It's funny. So I wrestled a little bit in high school, and uh, I got away from it. You know, and I was, did a little MMA way back when. You did? You know, yeah, nothing professional. It was okay. just uh, training uh, in Augusta, Georgia. It was a garbage. It was a McDojo. Okay. And I got away from it. And then one day I was stationed in Monterey, California. I was a commander at the time at the Defense Language Institute. And all of my friends were commanders. So basically what happened, you spend all day dealing with command issues, and you get around your friends who drink beer, and you talk about more command issues. Colonel's always screwed up. And I'm like, God, all my friends are just in this bubble. I found out there was a really good jujitsu school nearby. And uh, this is still in Georgia? No, no, this was in Monterey, California. Okay, California, got yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the first guy I went to was Dan Thomas. He's a... Uh, uh, Franco, black belt. Okay. And, uh, but it was like with a mile from my house. And I went in there, and at first I didn't think there was any military in there. It's only a mile off base. And usually off base, you know, you're surrounded by military boots. So nobody talked about the military at all. And I was like, oh, my God, what an escape this is to get away from that bubble. Found out, ironically, one of my best friends today was also a student. He was a student at Naval Postgraduate School. We ended up being stationed together in Afghanistan 30 people on the fob and he was one of them so you build those communicate those networks through there but it was to get away from the military got it just to have a healthy pursuit go choke people and I was a meathead, you know I was strong guy on the mat you know you know push harder don't use technique just squeeze harder I was that guy you're you muscling know? out of everything yeah cuz that's yeah. well army combatives kind of teaches that you know teaches really bad jujitsu okay uh, you know, go harder, push harder, you know, and it took me a long time to learn to relax and get into it. Yeah, uh, Actually, was at Fabio's. I can tell you the person who broke me was a guy named Derek Brown Belt from Fabio's. He's crushing me, and he's got both his knees on my chest, and he's folding me in half. And I remember looking, he's looking at me like this owl, just this expectant owl, just staring me in the face as I'm trying to breathe, and it went to my head, I was, I'm doing this all wrong. <laughs> like, whatever got me right here. I probably deserve this punishment and I need to change something. And then I started to relax a little bit and, you know, and everything changed from there. But it, I, I, I remember my breaking point. Got it. That was your breaking point. Yeah, Derek, Derek crushed Derek me. Brown Belt. <laughs> anybody, at I will tell you about Derek, he. Is versus, he still there? Is he still training? He comes sometimes. He actually owns uh one of the owners of O'Brien's gym out in Brand, uh, O'Brien's uh, pub out in Brandon. Okay. But uh, he comes in. It's funny because people who don't know him don't know what a monster is. He's a Brown Belt. Okay.
0: Is he big and physically um Yeah, he's a burly man with okay. a big
1: beard and, you know, nice laid back dude, but He's just one of those savants. He's just natural. And he'll walk in, and it's funny because you see some of these old-school Fabio guys come in. Like, the dude's been training for like a couple of years. Like, oh, who's that guy? I don't know if he's. Right. I'm going to show him what I got. And then you watch them leaving with their head down, <laughs> contemplating life. Like, like I could have warned you. You know, Derek's, yeah. Jimmy's, you know, what used to be Paul back in the day, these enforcers. Like, Is
0: there a discrepancy between old school Fabio guys versus the guys that I'm seeing on the mat? Cause I'm, you know, so new.
1: No. Um, what it is is that guys don't stick around, oh. you know, by the time they get to the Brown belt, most of them have faded. Um, why, and, why do you find that they're stopping at the Brown belt? I mean, the, Oh no, they're stopping usually at blue belt. Most of oh. them stop at blue belt or white belt. You know, once you get your purple, a lot of people say, you know, once you get your purple, you're kind of in it for life, you know, mm. but, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I think that you set that blue belt as your big goal. Like, I'm going to get my blue belt because I've been working hard. I don't want to die a white belt. Mm. They get the blue belt, and then they realize it just gets way harder. Mm. Now you got a target on your back, you know, and and or injuries come up, life gets in the way, you know. People, you get a lot of people who push through the pain, and you know, they're the dudes who never want to tap out. And by the time they get to their blue belt, they've already picked up a lifetime of injuries in a couple of years because they're muscling out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I was, I've got a, the, the only injuries I've ever gotten from jujitsu because I didn't want to tap out and it, it was a learning process, you know, and I mm-hmm. had to actually make some decisions because I was in the army at the time and I got ankle locked pretty good and didn't want to tap out, pop my ankle. I'm like, man, this could cost me my career. Mm. But by then I was, I was so addicted to it. I was like, well, I just had to change my mentality.
0: What, what, uh, so you, you were in California because of the military, mm-hmm. uh, because of the army, you were mm-hmm. traveling, of course. Mm-hmm. What brought you to Florida?
1: I was stationed at CENTCOM. Uh, It was funny. I had a couple of really good opportunities. Well, one, the one I got here wasn't the opportunity they sold me, is I was a linguist in the Army and a counterintelligence guy. And they had this program called the AFPAC Hands. And the idea is that you would do two years in Afghanistan, but you would hub out of CENTCOM, and you would get all this language training between there, putting all this money into it. It was under General McChrystal. And you would become an old hand, an expert. And I would advise commanders, you know, so you become really immersed in the culture of Afghanistan. You learn the language, and you get longevity at the same spot. Now, that was the theory. It's also to be career-enhancing. It turned out to be a career killer for people Hmm. because you're missing your command opportunities. They didn't adjust promotions to go with that job. Okay. So you get locked into this program. It's supposed to be a four-year program for me. It's not being almost a six-year program. And I still couldn't get out of it, and I got out because it was killing my promotion. I was like, you know what? We're happy in Tampa. We'll stay here. Yeah. Uh, my wife's career took off. So we I had 20 because I was prior enlisted before, so I could retire as a major.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, so it brought me to Tampa to be near my mom and dad, who ironically, right after I retired, moved to Nevada. So. <laughs> you, yep. you move to
0: florida to be yep. closer to your yes. family and yes. then they so said like, hey yeah. we're going in the bottom
1: yeah like so within thanks. a year within a year wow. of me retiring i was like ah okay well, <laughs> not, goes that best idea. laid plants of mice have been, right, you right. Know, so. okay yeah but we love tampa uh, my wife's business is really good um she's does real estate and she caters to the military crowd she's got uh, three businesses at this point and uh, i get to be retired Okay, right.
0: I, got a, I got. I got. I'm on on air. I'm going to apologize. You uh, a while back uh, when when you and I uh, spoke at, at the mm-hmm. gym, mm-hmm. I was really uh, intrigued about what you do and mm-hmm. and, and the background uh, that you have, uh, and 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 at the time you I don't I don't think you really wanted to come on the show, uh, which I completely respect. But then you were like, well, hey, you know, my wife has. This thing going, you know, mm-hmm. you may want to look into that and, and see if you want to have her have her on the show. And and I did. I listened to it, but it was the, the, the content was so far <laughs> detached from where I am in life that mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I want no, to. No, this no, makes I, sense. But anyway, but
1: that was. Uh, well, uh, she's done something on. new since then. Oh, so she, yeah, so yeah. she just did. They did the first military women's conference, which was uh it was specifically for women veterans and spouses, career stuff. They did it at the Tampa Convention Center, and it was a really big. Hit, and they're going to do it again next year. How many I people showed sure. up to that? This was a couple hundred. Uh, it was for an inaugural event. That's pretty good. They had some really good speakers, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to continue to be a business. And she, I think uh, there's a lot I can't go into because I know have insider information they have sure, to go on public sure. with. But yeah, yeah, she's a real entrepreneur. Yeah. Me, I'm uh I hang out. You know, <laughs> I train jujitsu. I uh you know, I was telling you earlier I got my real estate license, but it's not because I sell real estate, I do property management. But yeah. it's so I can open doors for her when she's busy with a client. I can you know, I'd say, Well, oh, Iris is selling the house, I'm sitting a septic inspection. You know? Okay. All right. I'm letting the guy in to look at the roof. So I've become a professional, um, I kind of do for her. I tell you it's she, for 20 years, she was the mill spouse. She, her career revolved around mine. Mm. So we just did in the military called that left seat, right seat ride. She's in the left seat now. She's a driver and I support her. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It works. I think it's only fair. She's yeah. got 18 more years of this and then I get to go. No, no. <laughs> yeah. 20 yeah. years is a long time to follow my career. So, right. Yeah. And right. plus she's smarter than me. So why wouldn't I, you know, that to me is. Mill spouses are. She seems, seems to be yeah she's a really smart lady and she has a passion for it and i don't so right know, um, my passions lie elsewhere so it works out yeah um besides uh bjj and, and lifting
0: what are the other pursuits that that you have because you have you have your own podcast yes um called boots and transition which yes. is kind of on a hiatus of sorts
1: well it's available we're, we're back up it's just not on podcast format uh it's on youtube right now and it's on the on the website Mm -hmm. Uh, boots in transition was so when i got out of the military i didn't realize how much of my identity was tied up to being a soldier and i had a lot of problems the military is really not good at transitioning Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm not going to place blame on the military uh they're doing the best they can but soldiers coming out especially lifers come out woefully unprepared for Hmm. what they're looking at on the other side. I think that has a lot to do with the suicide rate and the depression that's hitting them, is that they're just sort of spit back on the streets. Mm -hmm. They have this grass is greener. Um, When I get out, things are going to work out. Part of that is because that's the garbage we've been sold. Hmm. Kevin knows everyone wants to hire a soldier. Right. But that's not the case. Not at all. In fact, we're seeing a lot of discrimination these days against soldiers because... Of PTSD? PTSD is part of it. We're our own worst enemy. You know, all these disgruntled veteran, uh, I'm a veteran, so you owe me your freedom sort of attitude, Mm. makes people think, well, why would I want to hire that guy? He walks around thinking he's entitled. Bottom line is, I tell people, my opinion, I enjoyed it. I did it because I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun. You know, I really enjoyed my time in the military. You make, you know, it is what you make of it. But nobody owes me anything. I got paid. I was compensated. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, my family, we we made the sacrifice, but we went in. I wasn't drafted. Mm. You know, but a lot of guys, they tie everything into that identity and then you get out. People don't act the same. You know, there is a different level of honesty and integrity you get in a unit uh-huh. and then they get out and they don't have that and they start finding they miss it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because that's the, the, um, and I've never been in the military, <coughs> so I, I don't know, but, but, uh, so as an outsider looking in, I think to myself, well, if I if I join the military, and then when I leave the military, I will be better off and better suited at getting a job. Um, I'll be more appealing because I have m- maybe acquired some leadership skills or, or being a, being a, able to be a part of a team seamlessly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and being you know more of a selfless
1: mm-hmm. individual. It depends on how you so it depends on how professional you are as a soldier. You know, anyone who says there aren't dirtbag soldiers is a liar. You know. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, are, what was that? Anyone who who acts like every veteran's great. Right. They're dirtbag soldiers. Takers, mm. you know, they show up, they don't show up to formation, they don't take training right, you know, they, you know, there's a lot of dirtbag soldiers out there. I've kicked a few out myself. Mm. But those there's a leadership process. There are there are filters. Uh, people who go through, uh, the leadership training and they, they take it. Yeah, they do come out better, but it's on you, you mm-hmm. know, to become a better person. Right. Uh, a lot of the veterans that I usually have issues with are guys who did three or four years. A lot of them, you find out they got kicked out, mm-hmm. fat boyed out. Um, cause we have physical standards, you know, they get, uh, delinquency issues, you know, behavioral issues for you to adapt or, you know, pattern of misconduct. And then uh, I've got a friend who's going through a lot of issues. He's a retired colonel and he does, I'm not going to say his name, but one of his jobs is he counsels education benefits. Okay. And he gets these guys who come in there who did maybe two years, got kicked out and they act like university and society owes them everything. He's Mm -hmm. just there to tell them their benefits
2: Mm.
1: and uh, they take it out on him. And he says, well, you don't qualify for this. you know, he sees him come in, and, you know, of course, everybody was special forces. Everybody was an operator. Everybody was a cool guy. Truth is, you know, not every job in the military is glamorous. Right. You know, got logistic, log- you know. We need them. We drive a truck. Nothing wrong with that. Right. You drive a truck. You weren't a special force guy. Maybe you delivered supplies of special forces unit. Doesn't mean you get the patch. Got it. But every guy you talk to seems these days a embellish that a bit. Right. You know, I always tell people, you know, I was not so special forces. I was just a dude, you know? Mm. Um, but, but that sort of attitude is what hurts us on the outside. And so then they get out and then, you know, whether it's fabrication, whether it's just this, you owe me attitude, nobody wants to hire them. It's not because of what the military did to us, what they did to themselves. You know, it's like, you've got, you've still got to be a team player. You still got to be a good person. Uh, they don't owe you anything, Mm. you know? Um, so that that was the
0: impetus for <coughs> doing Boots and Transition.
1: Yeah. Right? So that's part of it is, you know, how do you adjust? How do you find your new identity? Right. You know, and you, you know, and I didn't think my identity was tied up in being a soldier until I got out. And mm. then I realized, wow, that was really more of me than I did. Yeah. But years. how many years? I, mean, I did like 20
0: years. 20 yeah. years of your life. Like Oh, mm. yeah. That would
1: be a, a, a giant yeah, but part like, of you your know, identity. If, so if you go to base right now, you go to any base, you're going to go through the line to get into the base. And you're gonna see somebody's gonna have 30 stickers on their back window, which is basically everything they ever did in the military. Okay. We used to joke and say, you know, we call it enlisted record brief, or ERB. You've got your ERB on the back of your window. I don't need to know that you're a ranger and you're sapper and you're assault and you're airborne and, you know, you, you once, you know, got a GY global war on terrorism. Like everything's on there. And I'd be like, dude, this guy has no individual identity. Hmm. And me, all my friends were civilians for the most part. I was into BJJ at the time. Like this would be an easy transition. I'm just gonna be a BJJ guy. And then you get out and you realize, man. So I'm. It hit me when I first started business networking. I got my real estate license, and. um, Sunhouse is an old blues musician. He has this song about smiling in your face. It's an old blues song, and uh, people smile in your face, but they talk about you behind your back. You know, and they pretend to be your friend, they're not. in the military people, they don't like you, they let you know. That's one part. There's a genuineness there. I mean, I think if you live in those small confines, you get to know each other. Right. So it was kind of when I came when I came out of the military and I saw how disingenuous the people and maybe it was just this group I was in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to generalize. But I was like, Man, these are some backstabbing people. Like if you don't like me, tell me you don't like me. Don't right. come up to me, greet me like we're long lost friends. And right. then you're not. But that's just that's just our society. But yeah. I was sheltered from that. I see. You know, you are in a subculture. So that was that. So I had to learn how do I how do I do business with people? You know, how do I how do I maintain these professional relationships in this whole I'm a fish out of water here, you know, so how do I do that? So part of that was like, and how do you find a new career? Like I've got a couple of friends in one of my podcasts coming up is on taking your military experience. And most of the veterans, when they write their resumes, they just take their jargon. And, you know, like I was, like, if I were to tell you that, yeah, I was a counterintelligent U.S. Army, I provide force protection to a unit of 50 personnel in a distant location, a combat operation area. You don't know what that job is. I don't know what that You're job gonna, is,
0: but it sounds It does. Awesome. It sounds, maybe it sounds <laughs> neat, but. It these, sounds awesome, is what I was But that what was does that
1: like. have to do with selling Frito Lay products? Right. Right. You know, so it's like uh, we have to learn how to. I wouldn't say even dumb down. We have to de. We have to demilitarize how we talk, you know. And uh, a lot of people don't know how to do that, or they think that they're only qualified for the job they did in the army. So how do you take what you did? Your leadership is still leadership, you know. Your ability to provide purpose, direction, motivation. You know, whether you're doing that as a softball coach or a small teams leader or manager at Walmart, you're still providing purpose, direction, and motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you break that down? So we don't know how to do that. We don't get that training.
2: Right,
1: got it. Most military resumes read like, most will just take their officer or enlisted uh, evaluation and they take word for word, this sounds cool, I'll put it there. And it's impressive if you're playing the veteran card, but if I'm hiring you, I want to know you can do the job I want to hire you for. Right. You know, um, you got to be able to speak their language. It's highly jargon specific. Yeah. Highly technical, you know, technical report writing. So you got to learn how to do that. So what a lot of military guys do is they go right into contracting and that's kind of half stepping in my opinion, leaving the military. If it's what you want to do. It's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, I want to be a civilian yeah, but you're a civilian still in the military industrial complex. You haven't really left it behind.
0: Right. When you say contracting, meaning that you work for private organizations <laughs> that, that you, that, that utilize the skills of, yeah. of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, former military.
1: Yeah. So, when yeah. I got out, I thought I'd be, i uh, move into some kind of Intel analyst job. Uh, in um, it's taking my previous expertise. At, and I use that with a lowercase e and Afghanistan, Islamic counter insurgency stuff. And I would, have a good career doing what I already did, but I wouldn't have to get up in the morning and go to PT. I could wear what I wanted to wear as long as it wasn't, you know, disrespectful. Right. Didn't have to have a regulation haircut. I could have a beard. And then I also realized, well, that also means I've got to drive to McDill. I have to maintain my security clearance. I have to uh, probably have to deploy again, shorter term, but still deploy again.
0: Even though you're not in the military, yet you're contracted by a private, so you still, (laughs) what, what?
1: So this is one of those magic things for like wars in Afghanistan is people say, how many soldiers, how many boots do we have on the ground? And right. that is just soldiers, uniform soldiers. So yes. the way that we maintain the presence is we use contractors because those don't count. It's different. It's a different budget. So... What? Wow, well, you didn't know I, that? I didn't yeah. know that. No. Oh, yeah. If you go into any major headquarters, most of the people are civilian clothes. You know, we'd go out on the mission, but in your headquarters, if you walk into Kabul right now, you're going to see more civilians than you will military because that's how they keep the numbers up. Some of them might be DIA civilians or, or, you know, alphabet soup organizations, but a lot of them are contractors. So you fill that seat. So, hey, this mission requires, you know, this many people. Our boots on ground authorization is a fraction of that, so we fill the seats with contractors. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lucrative career. It used to be big money in that. When I, you know, a lot of those contracts are dried up or they pay a pittance of what they used to because we're just running out of money. So mm. it wasn't supposed to be a 19-year war, you know. So when I was enlisted, everybody got there. we talked about like, oh, I'm going to get six-figure salary. Right. Doing the same job I'm making, you know, E4 pay right now. And I knew people who did. But then those contracts, we got really, they dried up a lot because we had a surplus of veterans. So now suddenly the market's flooded right. with veterans of experience who just don't want to do this and be soldiers anymore. Mm-hmm. But they want that fat contractor pay. Yeah. So uh, now the that grass isn't so green. Got a couple of friends who are just absolutely sick of it now. And I'm not going to go into politics now, but it's becoming much more divisive than it used to be. So uh, they're... Talk to me they're like man I, I don't know what I'm qualified for anymore I've been doing this for so long so we're like, oh, let's figure it out you know what do you like to do what do you want to do you're gonna lose pay you know because you're starting something new yeah and when you get out they say you know like, I remember my transition brief they talked about retiring to Tampa at half your pace in sunshine because they just don't pay as much around here as they do in some of the other positions mm-hmm. so you know you have to be willing to sacrifice and I tell people, you, you know, something I came up with, real, you know, recently, is the concept of wealth. And what is wealth, right? Because when you're making that decision of retirement and what you want to do, you gotta, you gotta figure that out. Well, for me, wealth is being able to do the things I like to do. And not worry about putting a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. Now I have some disability from the military. Uh, I got a lot of injuries and stuff I carry around. And uh, I've got my pension. So I was like, okay, so what do I want to be able to afford to do? I don't, well, I don't boat, so I don't need to afford a boat. I don't golf. Those are expensive. So obviously yeah. if I want to do those things, I would have to have a different concept of wealth. I lift weights in my garage and watch Netflix and choke people. <laughs> that's not that expensive. Not that expensive. No, it's not. No, so I was no. like, but you know, I'm, I'm happy with what that income level is. I made the decision like, okay, this is what I need to do. But if that's, that's your expectations and great. Right. You know, I could live in a lot of places way cheaper. Oklahoma. I used to have a house in Oklahoma, station Fort Sill. I think it cost me like a third of what it cost me to live that lifestyle here. Mm-hmm. So, if things got hard, my wife got tired of working, she got sick, you know, an option would be, okay, well, let's just move someplace cheaper. But that's a decision you have to make, right? What I see is a lot of guys with these caviar dreams like, dude, you're not going to be on the golf course every day, you know, on your pension.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you'll have a rent, you'll pay your rent, you'll, you'll have food, but you're not going to be out on the boat every day, you know, yeah. so you make that, as any capitalist does, you make the sacrifice of, you know, I think a lot of people get caught in those luxury traps. Uh, you make the sacrifice of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I, that's the first thing I tell my friends getting out. I was like, you've got to decide what lifestyle you want to live. Yeah, yeah. And then you should find the career you want to do based on that. Got it. it um,
0: going back a little bit,
1: mm-hmm. uh, my mind is is still
0: trying to wrap it's my i'm still trying to wrap my head around afghanistan the military contractors Mm -hmm. it sounds like there's more contractors than there are uniformed Mm -hmm. united states
1: truth yeah i mean i haven't looked at numbers lately but absolutely i mean uh a lot of your logistics are run by contractors soldiers are driving them but the the big jobs are contracts booze allen north of grumman there's so many contractors and big contracts it used to be blackwater but you know so people are like oh blackwater they don't go away they just rebrand. The brand they Rename. right, right. you've got guys who are going on who or contractors i mean it's it's big business wow I mean, yeah i mean it's huge and that's well, a lot of people, they look at the amount of money we spend on these wars. Like, you've got to take into the fact that you have your defense money, but you have other budgetary expenses that go into that, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very expensive endeavor. You know, that's been... I'm certainly not an activist, but, you know, these days, now that I'm not out, I can be a little more vocal. And, God, I'd love to see more of that money spent around here uh, than right over there.
0: Because, I mean, I don't know the what the figures are, but it's in the trillions... It seems
1: like that money is just poured into defense, constant, constant pouring in. Right. And some of the and and you know the some of the people make the most profit aren't necessarily in it for patriotic reasons,
2: mm.
1: right? I mean, it's a corporation. Contractors still a corporation. They're in the business of making money. They're yeah. not in the business of. I mean, it's great if they do that, but that's not. If you're a shareholder in a corporation, your loyalty is to your shareholders. If mm-hmm. you run that corporation, not necessarily to the flag. It's great when they converge, but you got to make money.
0: Who was it? Uh, was it after World War One that President Eisenhower gave the speech? Was it Eisenhower or was it Ike? Was no. World War Two because he was gave, general? Uh, I gave a speech on you know te- televised. In black and white yeah. then a, a warning the american public about the military industrial complex
1: it is a big thing so here's here's one of the things i'm a big history nerd you know i i if you see my facebook i stay up at night get really good ideas and then i delete them in the morning <laughs> but uh you know if you study history of world war ii everyone likes to use this model world war ii was great for the economy And that's based off the idea that, you know, we put this money in this industrial complex. That's, there's a huge misunderstanding there. One of the reasons why the U.S. economy boomed after World War II is we bombed out our biggest competitors in automobile industries. Because all the German factories were converted to cars. Mm. From cars to German supplies, we bombed them. So guess who owned the market for that stuff? The U.S. So we're not doing that in these wars. You know, so it's a different concept. So we're not, we're not going to fill any void, you know, with the wars right now. So this argument that wars are good for the economy, no. Mm. You're using a specific example and you're not taking into the rest of it. Mm. This, if you're a humanitarian, like I love what we're doing when we're building the girls school we're bringing rights. And I really felt like I was parsing. when You know, we used to, my wife used to send out just pallets full of like clothes for kids in afghanistan and we'd go out we do these humanitarian missions with part of our stability operations and you're giving clothes to these kids and these you know kids a kid and i felt good doing that you know um so if you're in it for humanitarian purposes there's a lot of great humanitarian work can be done there right but if you have this idea that we're ever going to make or see our money back of what we pour in these countries that's it's Afghanistan. Right. Every country, no one has ever made money off the history of Afghanistan. Yeah. From the British empire, to the Russians. I mean, it's just strategically, it's important because you're on the other border with Iran, you have quick reach to China. I mean, there's some strategic Advantages advantage of the to the area, yeah. but that's a lot of turf is that way. I mean, we're, we're not, I don't see, personally, I don't see where the, the bang for the buck is, but mm-hmm. others will disagree. You know, yeah. I've spent a lot of time there and, I think most veterans agree they're like, "Hey, look man, what do we do at this point?" right so but contractors, there's a lot of money there. Uh, you know, a lot of our um, politicians have ties to that industry, so I always question their motives because I'm a cynic. Mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I don't know here's a here's a far out question um, mm-hmm. uh, uh,
0: and I ask it because I'm just in, uh, I'm not suited to answer it mm-hmm. or even have an opinion uh, to answer it. Would could you ever envision a World War Three? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: I think it's inevitable. Inevitable. Yeah. Oh God. All right. I mean, I don't know. do tell. I mean, so I'm in a, a buddy of mine. He runs a think tank, and you know, you start so World War Three is basically you got access and Allies. You know, whatever they happen to be, and uh, you know, if you have a couple of powerful countries who are allied, and especially when you're fighting over scant resources, you know. They're gonna team up and that's how world wars happen. You know, world war is every country in the world. You know, China and Russia are very strong right now and they're allied to Iran. We have our own allies and we've been practicing brinksmanship a lot lately.
0: What do you mean brinksmanship?
1: We come to the brink of a war, it's okay. a bargaining right. piece. Okay. Right. Uh, Pakistan, you know, is always using brinksmanship with Afghanistan, like, hey, we're gonna have to go right up the line of a war. Iran was brinksmanship, daring each other to do it, you know. Um, when I was in the war, you know, I was at command general staff college, you know, we would say, they, they said future wars are going to be fought over fresh water. The hmm. DOD is actually planning for that. You know, a lot of your trouble in Yemen is over water resources and that's going to continue to be a problem drinking water. And, and it's not like it's oil where you can say, Oh, we'll just go with, you know, solar. Well, it's right. water's water, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, as resourcing, there's going to have to be.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: I mean, there's been lots of world wars, we just don't call them world wars. You know? Like like what? You know, if you look back at any, you know, multi-alliance war, you know, you're, you're technically a world war. I mean, mm. uh, but in a global global environment, NATO, if NATO gets involved with any two other countries like Russia and China, it's by definition a world war because you've got multi-alliances and multi-alliances. Right. Whether we call it that or not. And with nuclear developments and now tactical nukes, you know, we're starting to feel, you know, we're pushing through to field. Tactical nu- nukes, is nuclear deterrent still an issue? You know, I, I know at, strate- at the War College, they said there's no such thing as a tactical nuke. Mm. Anytime you use a nuclear weapon, it's strategic. It's a strategic, it's designed to the, affect the overall shape. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to understand terms strategic and tactical. So uh, any nuclear weapon is a strategic weapon. When,
0: when was the last time a nuclear warhead was, was
1: used. Oh, well, are the only ones who do it. Come That's out right. Yeah, war. The, yeah. yeah. Japan. Yeah. And then right. we had deterrence, um, because it was mutual assured self-destruction. And now Russia is developing. Russia says we started it by getting, you know, basically our weapon shields mm. that we can, you know, we start pushing them in Poland where we can shoot down nukes. Uh, intercontinental continental ballistic missiles from space. You know, China showed off their ability to hit a satellite in space. It wasn't because they can shoot satellites. Let you know, they can hit a space space target, which is very hard to do. Mm. And then we did it. We showed we can do it with our systems from a Navy ship, which is even hard because I got to account for The weapon coming out of space, the rise and fall of the waves. I yes. mean, it's a complicated process. And a lot of people don't realize. It's, you're not just shooting. I mean, it's it's technically... Impressive. Mm. And then we start pushing these shields into our, like Poland and our, our countries that border Russia. Russia got upset. Now they have the supersonic nukes that can fly fast, and we can hit them. Mm. So now America's trying to create those. So we're back in a nuclear cold war right now. Mm. I mean, we're in an arms race right now. If you follow what's going on. So deterrence is failing. Is basically, you know, nuclear deterrence. Some would argue you know they go back and forth on. some of our nuclear deterrence is failing which has been what people said what kept World War 3 from happening is mutual assured self-destruction now if you think you can cheat that mutually assured self-destruction at the upper hand you know I could go into the whole theory of why World War 1 and World War 2 happened um, military industrial complex and if you start thinking you can solve war mathematically somebody's going to eventually try to solve the war mathematically you know Mm. by you know Launching first—that's what the German system always thought in World War II. Is in World War One with the Schlieffen Plan. Is well, we've got the ta- we've got the mathematical solution for war. We're going to win.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it obviously, anybody who's ever fought in a war knows that nothing ever goes according to plan. But unfortunately, people are making decisions about war, not the people who fight wars. Mm-hmm. That's a to me that's a big flaw. And where we're at in the U.S. right now is that the people who are pushing prinksmanship aren't the people who served. Mm. yeah you know, um
0: hasn't it hasn't it not been the case though for a, a long time now yeah
1: yeah no, it's been yeah. that way for a while right you know um and i think we're generation generationally getting further away from the reality of war mm. as the world war ii guys start to die off and people start thinking of military conflicts like what you see in afghanistan isn't much it, it's not an industrial war it's small wars mm. you know uh it's not tank on tank So it's the reality of what industrial warfare does to people is kind of myth. It's mythological to a lot of people. They don't get it. They think of band of brothers. Yeah. You're not going to duck and cover from a strike. (laughs) You're all dead. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, we, we really glamorize what it is. Um, but the reality is, you know, I think I read some, I don't know who said it, but there's no, there's no bigger proponent of peace than someone who's fought in a war. Mm. Um, And uh, I'm not going to say violence never solves anything. It solved Nazis in World War II. You know, I'm not going to say there's not a time for it. But I don't think it should be. uh, I think it should be the worst case scenario, the last thing you do. Sure. Because I've seen what it looks like up close. I've seen in the flesh what, you know, military industrial weapons do to a body. Mm. Uh, And a lot of people today are not getting the help they need from the VA because they've seen it and we're not in place to fix it. There's a lot of theory that goes to the fact that that disconnected only half of a percent of the population even serves. And that's true. I think it's 0.45% of the population ever serves in the military. Hmm. So there's this huge gap between what people think the military is and what it is. And I kind of agree with uh, what some politicians have been saying now is that you don't go to another war unless you want to take care of the people who fought in your last war. So there's some bitterness there, you know. Um, but, yeah, you know, let's not rush to war. If you're not willing to serve, then I, t- I tell people, like, look, if you're willing to serve and you're willing to go enlist, mm. bang that war drum because you're going to put your money where your mouth is. Mm. If you're not, you or your kids aren't going to serve, then don't talk to me about it. Mm. I mean, I know guys in the military like, yeah, we'll go to war. And I, I was that way. Mm. There are some wars I go to war for right now, you know, but I've got to believe in the cause. Right. But I don't want to hear someone who's going to fence it tell me we should go to war. Yeah, and it's like the dude in the bartender go kick his ass and you're like, well, are you going to fight? Mm. No, don't, talk, don't don't get me in any right. fights. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I'll get myself in a fight. You don't got to put me in any fights. Right, right. So. so, so the, I mean, in,
0: and this is my thoughts on, uh, when president Trump, uh, I guess signed, uh, something for the space force, right. Mm-hmm. A, a separate branch of the military dedicated to outer space mm-hmm. with what you just said, it doesn't seem so far fetched now to have a, a separate branch of military for, uh, you well,
1: know. yeah. The, if so the, do we need a space force? Well, we, the air force is already doing that job, right? You know, so I think that's the idea of space force. And, and as a veteran, we have a lot of veteran humor groups and we make fun of space rangers all the time. Is that what they're called? Space rangers? Uh, <laughs> we got a ton of them, Buzz Lightyear, you know, um, there's a ton of jokes about it, and, you know, tongue-in-cheek, that's military humor. Yeah. But are they doing a job that's not already being done, you know? Um, do we need... My problem with Space Force isn't that we don't have to treat space as combat area. We already do. You know, the Navy, between the Navy and the Air Force, we got it covered. It's the expensive bureaucracy that goes into a branch of military, because now you've got to have a headquarters, you've got to have all these generals, you've got to have to do what's to me, seems like redundant effort. Mm-hmm. I
2: you mean, know, it seems ha- like
1: we need
0: astronauts. Well, we do. I mean, when you think of well, space. Well, we have a like
1: cybercom, right? Cyber, we don't have a cyber force. We have cybercom, cyber command. And it's a joint forces. And you have, you know, you have your Air Force and your Army. We got all our net warriors. And it's a major command now, equal to CENTCOM. So I'm like, okay, so we got that covered. Cyberspace, to me, is every bit as much of a threat mm-hmm. as space. Right. You know, people say they don't want to militarize space. Well, space has been militarized for a long time. Uh, China China's, you know, is militarized. You know, we've got military supplies in space. You know, we use satellites for a lot of our stuff, you know. So we have space-based systems. So it's not like, so that's sort of, you're, you're splitting hairs. But to me, I just think, why do we need another military force for something we already do? Right. You know.
0: The uh, uh, in regards to space and the commercial commercialization of space kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, people that that really want to to play astronaut <laughs> and and go see the stars, you know, be on the moon, perhaps go to Mars one day, uh, you know, ha- have have these fantastical voyages to space. It kind of freaks me out because the reality of of, of space flight is as as it is now. It's not for the faint of heart no i mean no. I, you, you know, can't
1: just open a window if you're claustrophobic that's right yeah I was, uh, was. what about the logistics yeah. of it yeah you know like that's the big thing is what are the logistics you know like we have a hard time keeping the logistics right in a country with roads mm. you know like we run out of drinking water you know we run out of important things things break you know so yeah i don't i don't think we're there i don't know if that honestly I mean, I'm, I'm really pontificating here, but I'd rather we just fix our planet. You know, I mean, that's a start. Explore our own oceans. Yeah. Clean those up. I mean, you're not, what I've known for the guy who who reads passive articles is that we haven't found a planet like earth. You know, why don't we just fix earth? Right. You know, uh, but that involves self-sacrifice, you yeah. know? Yeah. Okay. It'll take a crisis. You know, everything changes hard. It usually takes a crisis to do it, and it'll take a crisis.
0: Right. And, and the reason why I bring up the whole World War thing, uh, mm-hmm. World War, world War III, uh scenario is it just, it seems to me with uh, the world being so interconnected and and trade occurring, mm-hmm. right? You know, China uh, being the, well, you know, the elephant in the room. hmm that it just seems like there's just too much money being passed back and forth to ever have, you know,
1: uh, a World War II scenario where uh, well, that was people what Morgan, that, yeah. Morgan, Fre- uh, Morgan Freeman, yeah, uh, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman. What's his name? Freeman wrote *The Lex the Olive Tree*. He was a big globalization guy, and that was the theory behind globalization. Mm. Is that the more interconnected we are, the less likely we are to war? I know for a long time before Kuwait and Iraq, it was no two countries with McDonald's that ever fought a war. I heard that. And right now, you know, nationalism is the exact opposite of globalism globalization. I'm a, I am believe in globalization uh, to a degree. You know, I believe in interconnected, you know, commonalities. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you know, the more ties you have to bind you to another country, be the economic, the less likely you are to go to war. The more you isolate also, I think, the more you stereotype, you know, it's... If you travel, the people who travel the world have a much different view of foreigners than people who don't, you know? Absolutely. So I believe in that interconnectivity it keeps at peace, but that's really not popular right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, sometimes I feel like I'm shouting into the void, you know, like I've been studying Islam for a long time. Some of my best teachers are Islamic. Uh, some of my friends, you know, good friends are Islamic. And it's so far from the stereotype. And then I come home from Afghanistan where I'm fighting. Like I used to as a lot of veterans, I was angry about a lot of things. One of the thing's that used to drive me crazy is my interpreters fought with me. Mm. You know, they weren't supposed to, but they did. They had A K forty sevens they picked up off the battlefield and they went into the they went into battle with me. They knew that they were there. They didn't matter, they were Muslim, I wasn't didn't matter they Afghan. And I would have Americans sit there and be like, Oh, those freaking Muslims I'm like, Well, hey man That guy was next to me in combat, and you were never there. Mm. You know, like he he showed up. You know, your Monday morning quarterbacking from Polk County. What a Muslim's like. You don't. You've never been to an Islamic country. Mm. Never been to like. Go to Abu Dhabi. Go to UAE. You know, they're fantastic places. Yeah, just because Uh, fantastic, fantastic goal. Yeah, like like just brilliant, state of the art. I got Placins, a friend who might yeah. be getting a job at UAE, and he's like, "What's like? Are you kidding me? It's like Disney World for rich people, you know? Like, you got jet packs, you know, you can fly jet with a jets. We're in America. Can I Lambo's get Lambos and Ferraris for police? Yeah. Uh, for, for their police department. Drone racing because they were smart in how they did how they invested, you know. But uh, you know, I remember flying over those man-made islands at UAE on on uh, looking out. I was looking out of a C-137. I was like, they created islands that look like palm trees they can make and put hotels on them yeah they can make it rain yeah in the desert so let's not pretend that they're all backwards right like they do things we can't do here you know Mm -hmm. um everybody's different but if you go there and you see it but if all you get of the islamic world is what you know fox or cnn is pumping into your brain and you don't know shit so go travel go see it you're gonna see you're wrong yeah so I, uh, I I hate that xenophobic closed-mindedness, you know. Just people are people. Crazy. Yeah, they are. Belief
0: it's... systems may be different, but people are people. hmm yeah. yeah. They get hungry, they got to go to the restaurant. Yeah, everybody's
1: got Maslow's <laughs> Pyramid, you know. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that. Everyone's got Maslow's Pyramid. Everyone's trying to get by.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, it's not till they start getting competing interests and wealth and money and status. And, but that's such a small portion of any population, yeah. you know. So it's like one day I somehow want to just go to the rich people. That are trying to say we need to go to war and just give them a couple knives and say work it out amongst yourselves. (laughs) You're the ones who want to go to war. Go to war. Go to war with each other. Yeah. Um, But you know, do uh, do movies drive you nuts
0: sometimes when you watch certain like
1: uh, war films? Absolutely, I won't watch most of them. No, Uh, especially modern ones. You know, like uh, and I won't watch the Jack Ryan's and all that. just it's such. You know the, the 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 military stuff. I tell people what's the military like. The comedies are real. The that's really yeah. Like yeah. like what? Uh, you know, I tell people the first half of Jarhead. Yeah. Where they're bored all the time. Right. Watching bugs fight. Doing dumb shit. That's that's ninety five percent of the military. You get it. Okay. most guys in the military who deploy don't even see combat. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of boredom. And it's those you know it's a lot of uh, inappropriate jokes. And, uh, you know, you're just trying to pass the time. Exactly. Yeah. You're doing yeah. your job, but right. This idea that you're going to be chucking hand grenades and returning fire. It, most people who find themselves in that, you know, and I've been in combat. I've been, we call them ticks, troops in contact. You know, I've been in a few ticks, you know, and I've, I've returned fire and anchor. That's not the shit I want to relive. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, that was, I don't tell, when I tell people war stories, it's usually about like, uh, we had this guy, he watched, There was a popular video, and it's very, uh, it's not very common. It's, it was about two girls, and it involved a cop. And these guys watched that video, and I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. But the funny part was, it was so gross, that the next day, one of our entry guys was in the tower, and he mm-hmm. broke wind in the tower. Stunk so bad, he threw up all over the tower, because it triggered a memory. So the story wasn't about what the combat it was. This guy puking all over the tower because he watched a video online that grossed him out.
0: Yeah, two girls, one cup.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. I remember that. One. Yep. Don't 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 <laughs> don't go look at it. Don't Not see it. Not safe for work. Don't see My it. By God, don't. But open it up was the, the story of this guy who threw up all over the tower from his own wind because he watched that video. And it was like little what I call dumb soldier stories. You know, uh, we had this guy. His name was Colonel Maboub. He was an Afghan officer, and he used to steal all of our sodas. And then he'd drive them down to Torkham Gate, which is the border of Pakistan, Afghanistan. He'd sell them for a dollar each or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, anyway, he was always stealing our supplies and selling them. So his name became a verb. Like, so a guy would come sit next to him, like, dude, did you just maboob my seat? Like, I was sitting there, he just maboobed my seat. Or, like, who maboobed the last chicken nugget? You know, like, we only got like five pieces of chicken. Who maboo my chicken? So those are the things I remember is that this dude's name became synonymous with thieving. You know, right. was like, he was just a. Bit of a dirtbag, you right. know, um, as you know, can be expected in a, a tribally appointed position. Yeah. So those are the memories I have of the funny things, yeah. you know, the, the dumb stuff, you know, and that's what those my closest friends to these days are guys who are sitting there with me doing dumb stuff, right, making dumb jokes. But it's it's
0: the people <laughs> that are
1: that that have not had that experience. Seem to have an idealized version of what that what absolutely that is. and you like know combat.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and you know, some guys who have never been to combat but deployed are the worst for spreading that. Mm. They're the worst. Our, I'm telling you, the veteran community we are our own worst enemy in that. That's not what military's like most of the time. You know, most of the time you're on a fob, you're doing your job, you're doing. You're making jokes. You're getting through it day by day. You know we used to call it, you know FOB Torkum, We used to call it. Uh, what Torkum- is FOB? I'm sorry. Ford Operating Base. Okay. Yeah. So FOB, we used to call Torquem Penitentiary. You're there for a year. Do your job. Do your time. Don't let the time do you. You know. Mm-hmm. And we would even call. We had our own gym. We used to call it the weight pile. You know. And we'd call it. You know. The de facto was the commissary. And you know, we basically like being in a jail, but your guns are pointed out. Mm. You know, but you're in there together and you get by, it's fine. You have a fine time. I mean, you have right. a good time with it. If you keep your mind right. Yeah. But dude, I'll meet these guys. It's funny. I meet guys come to jujitsu and they don't know I'm former military. And you know, I can tell they're like in their mid twenties. So they'll say like, I'm you know, they wanted to tell the first one to tell you they're a veteran and they'll make it sound like they were charging hamburger Hill, you know, joke we say is no shit there. I was need even hand grenade pens. Every fake story starts with something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear Guns and Ammo, never thought it would happen to me, but there I was. Dear Soldier of Fortune, never thought it would happen to me, but there I was. And most of them are garbage, and you know what going into it. But I'll let these guys just tell me how cool they were. And then someone else will mention I did 20 years. And then I can see them. I can see the look <laughs> in their eyes. I see the shift. <laughs> that they know I've known all along they were full of it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't call them on it. Right. Because, uh, you know... Those who have seen combat rarely talk about it. They mm. rarely glamorize it. Mm. You know, it's, uh, it's like I once read that, you know, nobody likes an adventure when they're in one, you know? It's only uh, after the fact. After the fact. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, and uh, again, uh, that
0: sense of wanting to be a hero, uh, glorifying something that just seems so cool. I don't know what it is about that that seems prevalent in every culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, we, we I mean it, you know, it's like a childhood type thing. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be, you know, cowboys and Indians, cops mm-hmm. and robbers. John Wayne, you right. know.
1: Uh, yeah, we we make sound like, you know, and we, we used World War Two and World War because that was you know, that was a glorious war, you know, using air quotes, those who can't hear it. Um we had a cause and it was an industrial war and everyone was in it together and it was a much different thing than what we're dealing with now. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of really valid reasons to join the military. I've helped some people join because you get some job skills, I think it kind of and I hate to use the term makes a man out of you, but you got to get away from home. Mm. You got to get away from your safe split your safe place because even if you're here and if you grew up in Lakeland and you get a job, you're still going to have a lot of the same friends yeah. and you get tied. So, when I went in the military, the best thing it did for me is I got to decide who I was going to stay friends with. And I cut slaying on a lot of baggage. I became mm-hmm. much, I got a re, I got a restart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I got to start all over. The only reputation I had in the military that followed me was what I told people. Mm-hmm. You get a fresh start. I mean, that's why I call it uniform. You're uniform. You look exactly like the next guy and you create your own, you know, we say it's a meritocracy and you don't have connections. Usually, to help you. There are some people who has a brother who's a general or something, but usually you don't have connections. Up, so You get by with what you do. And I think in that regard, yes, it does make a quote unquote man out of you. You build yourself up, yeah. you know, and, and I, I'm a firm believer. So what I say about war is not against the military. I think the military is a fantastic direction if it's what you want to do, but go into it with your eyes open. Right. You know, me, I'm retired. I'm 45. I'm, fu- I'm almost fully retired. You mm. know, the military gave me that. Now, some people are like, oh, must be nice if you're retired. It's like, well, you you didn't say that when I was in Afghanistan all those Christmases. You know, you mm. didn't say must be nice when I was missing my kids' birthdays. Right. You didn't say that when I was at Fort Polk at, you know, rotation. It sucked then. Mm. Those moments sucked. Missing a year of your kid's life absolutely sucks. I'm trying to make up for that. So, yeah, it is nice now. Yeah. But I paid it up front. You know, I didn't get the creature comforts coming up. You know, my wife... You know, up until I retired, we calculated I spent, I think, fifty to sixty percent of my married time away from my wife, either in training or deployed, and she had to raise those kids by herself. Yeah, I have tremendous respect for military spouses that hold it together. So this must be nice. I'm like, well, you can shove it, because I don't remember getting care packages from you. You know, I don't remember you calling my wife and saying, Hey, do you need help moving stuff because your husband's deployed and you know, you can't do it by yourself. You know, the community does that. Yeah. And that's a big bond that comes with military community. We do look after our own. Mm. No, we do. There is a, we go through this together. So those aspects are fantastic. I just wish people would emphasize that part right. more than, Yeah, you know, I still live by what I think are the Army values. I tell you, the seven Army values are loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. It's a board question. And what do those mean? And, you know, as I've gotten older and, you know, wisdom comes with experiences, like that's just a, nice, a good way to be a good person. Yeah. Follow those values, you know, it's they're solid values. But a lot of people don't have those. Right. A lot of people don't have a code. They don't have any code. Yeah. A lot of people walk around with no code at all. Get mine. You know, we say, uh, IGM, I got mine. You mm-hmm. know, so walking out that IGM attitude. Yeah. I'm like, dude, be part of the community. You don't have to be in the military for that, but just be a good person. Yeah. So yeah. So there's some benefits, and I recommend it. If a guy's coming out of high school doesn't want to go to college, I tell people go medic. You know, X-ray tech is a great job. And learn how to work X-rays. You get out, you got a job waiting for you because always going to be X-ray techs needed. Right. Nurses. You know, they're great jobs. You know, Um, but if you're going because you want high adventure and you want to be an infantryman, which is great, but does it translate to a civilian job other than cop or security guard? Right. You know? So you just got to go into knowing. I tell people, like, just be strategic in what you want when you go in. Mm-hmm. I'm the perfect example of bad decision because I went into counterintelligence. I've got my master's in strategic intelligence. I never want to work in the intelligence field again. <laughs> I, mean, I got out. I was like, what now? I never want Did to. Did you do it because it sounded cool or? No, I loved it at the time. Okay. You know, I just got, part of me got burnt out. Um, I, I, I became a little disillusioned with what we were doing and why we were doing it. Um, that's on me. Uh, that was my choice. But you know, when you get out and you're like, man, I've invested in this. Cause I thought I was going to be a contractor or go work mm-hmm. state department. I mean, I was like, I'm going to get out and maybe, well, a general, whatever, you know, mm. I never thought I'm going to get my real estate license and manage a few properties and mostly work out, you know, yeah. um, so when I got out, that was a big thing. Was, what do I do with this master's degree in strategic intelligence? I don't want to do intelligence. Anymore. You spoke, uh, a middle Eastern language. I speak correct? Persian Farsi, which is Iran. Uh, I speak Dari, which is very similar to Persian Farsi for Afghanistan. Uh, I used to speak German, um, don't practice it. But uh, yeah, I'm multilingual, but, you know, and don't see a lot of job opportunities with Iran opening up any soon, (laughs) anytime soon, Uh, as much as a, you know, to be honest, it's a beautiful country. Um, Mm. I don't like the government, but I'd love, I'd love to go see the architecture there. You know, I have an appreciation for it.
0: Afghanistan is is supposed to be
1: stunning. Certain spots in Afghanistan are supposed to be stunning. Before the Taliban, it was like a hippie resort. That mm-hmm. was where he went to get high and ski and Kabul is ringed by mountains. Beautiful mountains, right? The Hindu Kush. Uh, if, I mean, now it's garbage gets burnt out and it's always, especially in the winter. It's always seriously polluted because it's in a mountain ring. It's also, um, the air doesn't circulate it's a bowl. Right. So all these burning wood, they burn just sits there and like, it's like you're smoking cigarettes every day. You just can't breathe. I always get mm-hmm. an infection when I go there. But, if you take that away and you just clean it up, it's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Uh Nangar where I was at, which is uh now one of the most dangerous areas where ISIS is at and you know, we were out there, but very famous for their orchards, beautiful rivers went through. I mean, it's this mountainous country, uh, gorgeous. Yeah. It's just war torn, you yeah. know. I was in I was in Macedonia stationed there right after the uh, Balkan War and Macedonia was gorgeous. I mean, I couldn't believe what I saw, I was in civilian clothes and so I got to, I had free reign so I could go all over the country. And I used to go to these hidden monasteries where when I think Albanians came in, they were burning things. So they moved all these old um, churches uh, underground. They hit them. And this guy, of course, I used to have, he was a former reporter before the war. So he took me out and I'm like going to this farm. Then I go into this cave and there's all these beautiful church icon iconographies. You know, they had the, like Jesus with the shiny gold, you know, and these things are hundreds of years old and they're just hidden in a cave hmm. and the monks are holding, you know, I met the monks. I was like, man, this is stuff that the average American never gets to see. Right. Gave me a different appreciation for what went on there. So there's beautiful country. Yeah. Wartar, you know, beautiful. Right. Um, I'm going to uh, take the uh,
0: podcast to the question that I ask everyone
1: uh, <laughs> and you can answer it in any direction <clears throat> you want. What do you want? Be a good father. Good father. Uh, be a good husband. I used to want other things, you know. I used to want to change the world. Now I just want to be be there for my kids and uh, just be a good person. Okay. And I had the luxury that I get to I get to do that now. Right. You know. You have two girls. <clears throat> I yeah. have two girls. One in college. One in high school. Yeah. And uh, and now I'm supporting my wife's career, and you know it's. Uh, I, I didn't think I'd find such joy in just cooking dinner.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Uh
1: but yeah, I enjoy it. Uh I, I like being a good husband, a good father. That's mm-hmm. if that if I had to find my new identity post post military, that would be it. Yeah. Plus I like choking people a lot. <laughs> really like that. The kids the kids get into B J J or not? My oldest daughter. She okay. she was training. Uh she's at Rollins College now, so she's not training, she's a freshman, she doesn't have time, but uh she really liked it. Um Madison and Lily, not so much. Just not her thing. Right. She's an artist, and you know that's who she is. So yeah. I don't push my hobbies onto my kids. You right. Know? They're not. My kids aren't supposed to to do my life better. You know, like some yeah. people I see, some people do that. No,
0: they're they're who they want to be. So there, are, there are a, a few things that is mandatory in my household, uh, and as it has it pertains the kids. One of them is, is learning some semblance of self-preservation mm-hmm. in a combative manner, mm-hmm. whether it's doing you know karate or BJJ or, or wrestling in mm-hmm. school. It is a, is a mandatory thing for everyone in the house. Mm-hmm. I wish that were the case for everybody else. No, it should,
1: yeah, I believe every kid should be able to defend themselves and think you'd have a lot less shootings. You'd have a lot less, uh, more issues with bullying yeah you gotta learn how to stand up for yourself right can't expect your parents to stand up for you
0: i mean it it would make people a bit more peaceful Mm -hmm. i think knowing the reality of getting your ass kicked yeah
2: here's a quick
1: anecdote on why uh we talked about why violence is necessary so lily doesn't train she did for a while she didn't want to do anymore because she's like sweating and she uh I think she was actually too successful because, uh, she was actually very good naturally at it and wow. she was getting picked on by a boy about two years older, much larger than her. She choked him out, mm. choked him unconscious, mm. rear naked. Fabio taught her, she used it the next day, choked the kid out. Uh, not too long after that, someone else gave her a hard time, choked him unconscious. <laughs> that was a few years ago. Now nobody wants to mess with her. Yeah. Like, she had the, some girls getting her some cyberbullying, and uh, we saw what they were writing on the wall. Lily blew it off, but they were trying to start some stuff. Right. But one of them was like, I just want to punch that girl in the face. And someone else in the forum was like, oh, you don't want to punch Lily Green in the face. That won't go well for you. <laughs> and I was like, I was laughing. I was like, man, you know what? She's got a reputation now. You know, she, she yeah. learned enough to get by. Right. And, you know, so she, I mean, you choked two bigger kids unconscious people pay attention yeah. that. So that reputation has followed her. So right. she hasn't had to fight. Yeah. Since she decisively ended those. Right. So, you know, having that ability matters. Yeah. So I'm, but I'm even, even,
0: even the, the, to have the ability. Yes. That, that's, that's the end result. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but to get a better perspective on life, mm-hmm. right. Cause everyone wants the glory in, in their own mind. Everyone's their hero with their own movie mm-hmm. type thing. But in reality, no, you're not, you're not hero guy. You're not the leading man. You know, you, you would idealize yourself as, as the
1: being okay. the leading yeah. man. But that's far from the truth. Just a guy. Just, just a, a guy. You're just a person. Well, look, you teach karate, right? If you get into a fight with somebody, even if you win the fight, most often you're going to have some kind of injury. Your hand's going to hurt. Absolutely. Black eye. So now... Like I had this interesting thing the other day, like this one guy was kind of mouthing off and I didn't want to fight the guy because I thought it'd be a boring fight. Mm. Like I actually said to him, I was like, I want to fight him, it'd be boring. (laughs) He sucks, like it'd be boring. But then the other part is, yeah, but even if he, say he punches me and he kicks my leg, you know, my knee hurts, I'm not gonna be able to train for a few weeks. Mm. So like it's this idea that like, no, 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 I'm prepared for fighting, but now I know that injuries always come with fight. right? I just want to be injured. Yeah, you know. like so I mean
0: not even even to be in the fight, but just to be able to defend yourself when violence, when physical mm-hmm. violence comes mm-hmm. upon you.
1: Yeah, or control yeah. the adrenal dump. That's what I tell people. That's what I tell people right. for the soldiers is you know, I watch uh, I watch all these people they talk about like, pulling their gun out and like we should arm teachers and this that's like do you know how much fratricide you have if you've never dealt with that kind of adrenal flight dump or flight mode. You know, so most people, first time you put them in a ring or even a jiu-jitsu, first time you put them in, what do they do, they spaz out. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're scared. They can't control their own adrenaline. Mm. So you've got to be in those fights to learn how to control that. So even if, say your kids are in a, some other situation, they're not necessarily having to fight. they mean, they're around some violence or they see something traumatic. Someone gets hit by a car. When everyone else is freaking out, they're going to know how to control their adrenal response. They're going to know how to breathe through the pressure, have a clear head, because even if it wasn't that specific thing, they've been in stress. Right. How many people do you think walking on, look out your window right now at a lake with people walking around. How many of those people right now would know how to handle a crisis? If it happened right in front of them right now, what would they do? Maybe one out of a hundred at best. Mm -hmm. I've become much more calm when... But that's because I've been in those situations so many times. Mm-hmm. When shit hits the fan, yeah. I calm down. I become very serious, laser-focused, follow the steps, because I train myself to use the steps. You do this, you do this. Somebody gets hurt. You know, I still got the treat the casualty that I trained. I learned in the military how to treat a casualty, you know, control their breathing, you know, check for bleeding. You know, you have all these acronyms acronyms we use for it. But I know how to handle the high because I follow the steps. Yeah, Your kid gets into a fight. He knows how to handle that adrenal high. Even if he just wants to get away from it, he's not going to freak out. When right. I see the guys, you watch YouTube videos, they puff up and they they, they, yeah. they, yeah, they start doing that blowfish. Yeah, they bow, bow up. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the blowfish. Right. Uh, they they do the little shimmy dance and sure. everything, and you know all that hype. And I'm like, all I look looks like, oh, you're an amateur. You don't know how to handle your high. I see cops. I see these videos of cop shootings. I tell my wife all the time. It's like it's it's his adrenaline. He's not. He may not be a bad person. Right. But he's making split-second decisions with pumping adrenaline. He doesn't know how to handle the adrenaline, or she, you know. Yeah. So just being in those combat situations, you learn to ride that high. That's right. So yeah, I think you have to. Yeah,
0: it's got to be a requirement.
1: I wish it was. I wish it was. I think I wish wrestling was a requirement in school. You know, they used to do boxing and West Point, wrestlings and some of the naval academies, and I think that's the real reason for it is. Mm -hmm you've got to learn how to deal with stress you know, stress be comfortable and discomfort you know um i tell guys with, with jujitsu all the time there's a difference in being in jeopardy and being uncomfortable mm. a lot of people can't handle it you know you gotta learn to tell i'm okay it sucks but right. i'm okay yeah breathe through it Whew, i'm gonna get through this you know he doesn't have my neck he's just fishing right know? boxing, you know, that's not, not every punch is the knockout punch, Mm -hmm. you know, learn to recognize a feint, learn to backpedal, you know, you learn to breathe through it. Yeah.
0: Hey man, thanks for coming on. Yeah. I enjoy it. Uh, how can
1: people find you? So, uh, boots in transition is my, uh, my YouTube and my, my Facebook and, uh, they can go on there and yeah, we got some new content coming up this week. So, uh, we're picking it back up, but it's a hobby, you know, but if you have veterans who are having an issue with transition, I was like, Hey, Tell me what you're having issues with, and we, uh, I'll find an expert, and we'll talk about it and help out nice. with it. Because we're bad at asking for help, so yeah. we yeah. just offer it. Thanks, dude. Yeah, man. I awesome. enjoyed
0: it. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Jay Chay Show. Brought to you by Karate Beyond. Discipline. Focus. Confidence. KarateBeyond.com. Martial arts classes for men, women, and children. After-school pickup evening classes, and summer camp, visit KarateBeyond.com.